coming July 9th. I think that as a society, that's something that we should be striving. 50 episodes. I guess cautiously optimistic would be my view. Four unlikely guests. I feel like it's just all purely political. One epic celebration. The 50th episode of Politics Weekly, an epic four-person roundtable celebration, coming July 8th on the Nolan Cleary Network, on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You're listening to Politics Weekly. To uh be big underdogs uh in the race uh for the uh the presidency one of them is uh joining me today we can survive all those systems what's going to happen if you legalize it completely politics weekly is a podcast on politics news and principles Alright everybody, uh, welcome to Election Talk 2020, this is the first Election Talk 2020 uh, we're doing. Um, of course, we're go- today we're going to take an early look at uh, some of the elections across the board that are occurring in 2020 and giving our ratings uh, for whether they're likely uh, to flip Republican or Democrat or what. Uh, and joining me uh, today to discuss our predictions is uh, 2018 Democratic candidate for governor, Jack Bergeson. Thank you for joining me, Jack. All right. Um, so uh, why don't uh, we talk a little bit about, um, why don't we start with some of the governor's races? Uh, as many of you probably know, um the governor's races um, uh, this year in 2019, um, there are three different governor's races. Now, you'd think they'd all be uh, safe for the Republicans since they're in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Kentucky, all states, both Donald Trump and Mitt Romney carried by landslides in 2016 and 2012. Um, however, they're all expected uh, to be competitive uh, Democrat John Bell Edwards um, is hoping uh, to get reelected in uh, in Louisiana. Republicans see a huge opportunity to take him down uh, in Kentucky. The incumbent Republican governor Matt Bevin is running for a second term, but he has low approval numbers, and no Republican in the uh, governor in the state's history has ever won re-election there. Uh, so for that reason, Democrats see a big target of opportunity to take down Matt Bevan, although there is a little bit of hope uh, that Matt Bevan has that uh, it is a red state, and he thinks that maybe he can hold on uh, because of political gravity. Um, and then uh, Mississippi, which is an open seat, which shouldn't be competitive, um, but one of the, the extremely popular uh, Democratic attorney general uh, in Mississippi has said he is running, um, and he is likely to make, uh, the race very competitive. Again, he's so popular. Um, he hasn't really had a competitive race for attorney general since 
2003, which was when he first ran. Um, uh, and then in 2020, uh, there's expected to be a bunch of other uh, uh, governor's races. Uh, some of the most competitive ones are expected to come out of places uh, like Montana, uh, like New Hampshire, um, potentially Missouri. Missouri might be competitive. And then there are some other places that might be competitive. Uh, but let's start. Um, what, what are your ratings for the, uh, the 2020 and 2019 governor's races? Um, I think Louisiana is almost certainly to re-elect John Bell Edwards. Early on, I wasn't so sure. Um, but with Senator John Kennedy announcing he was not going to be running for the governorship, he was the only person that was shown to even being possible to beat Bell Edwards, who was pretty popular, I think. Unless some out of the field, out of the loop candidate comes in and is able to really, I mean, he's so popular, there's no real big political, I mean, there's political issues, but it's, there's no major tie that since he's working against Governor Edwards, I would be highly shocked that he lost his seat. I think Kentucky is, I, I, Kentucky is one I really have a hard time giving trading to, um, because I see how it could go either way. I mean, yeah, in the one case, you know, twenty. You know, I can go back to 2014, and we can look at Kansas when we were expected to have a when we were expected to pick up the, the Democrats were expected to pick up the Kansas governor race, but we we lost the three or four points um, to, to the incumbent Governor Brownback. I think it's much harder to win as an incumbent. Um, but again, there's a lot of now. But now this this cycle there's a lot more liberal energy. There's a lot of energy in Kentucky. Um, to oust that, and I think there's going, it's going to be hard for me. He has the base lockdown, but I don't. I mean, I think three voters are going to go heavily towards them. Democrat, Democratic candidates seem like they're pretty popular, pretty moderate. I would, you know, I'm going to rate this on a top up. I simply just don't have enough information um, to rate it. And I think Jim Hood down in Mississippi is like, oh, the best candidate the Democrats could have hoped for. I, I, I think the tide in Mississippi is greater than in Kentucky, as there was, you know, the, the Republicans are viewed in state office, you know, pretty favorably, but obviously the incumbent governor who's retiring is, is not a major scandal, like, like Bevan is. So I, mean, I think that one is a Trump Republican. I, I, that one could change. I, that could very easily become a Democratic-leaning race. I just have to wait until we're closer to November and we can actually start to look at where the numbers are and how the race is going. You know, Jim... So the ratings I have, so I rate, the way I, I rate stuff is I rate stuff as likely RRD, uh, lean RRD, um, Republican wishlist and Democrat wishlist, and toss-up. So obviously likely means that um, it's very unlikely to flip. Like there, there are states that are almost impossible to flip, like 
A state like Idaho isn't going to flip for a Democrat. Uh, a state like uh, Rhode Island isn't going to flip for a, a Republican. However, um, a state like um, uh, what what lean or what favored uh, RRD means is that it means the Republican or the Democrat is slightly favored there. Um, but there is a, still a shot that uh, the other party could pick that up. Uh, and then um, what Republican wish list means or Democratic wish list means is that there are states um, that the party would like to pick up. It's going to be a really, really, really hard time picking up, but they might have a slim chance of picking it up. Um, but in terms of the ratings that I have here, right now I have Louisiana as uh, favored Democratic because I agree with, you, with what you said. You know, John Bell Edwards is a popular uh, incumbent um, and John Neely Kennedy was probably the only uh, Republican that had a serious shot uh, of taking him down. Um, and yes, Louisiana is a red state, but we saw in uh, 2018, uh, we saw the opposite with a state like Massachusetts or Vermont uh, and Maryland, all of which were overwhelmingly Democratic states, which both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama carried by landslides, in uh, in 2016 and 2012. However, um, the Republican governors there uh, won re-election handily because they were very popular there. And I think it's the same thing with Louisiana. I think you're going to see that because John Bell Edwards is most po is extremely popular. I think the last poll that was taken before all the new governors were sworn in after the midterms showed that. Bell Edwards was the most popular Democratic governor in America uh, currently. Um, so I think that's going to uh, help him. Um, not out of the question that Republicans could pick this one up, especially since they do have a member of Congress running. Um, but I still think it's going to be pretty hard for Republicans to win here. So for that reason, it's favored Democrat. Um, Mississippi is kind of a hard one. Um, Jim Hood is uh, very popular there. However, I actually rated this as favored Republican just because of political gravity and because I think one of the problems I think Democrats lack in Mississippi is infrastructure. Um, I don't think they have a big, inf a big enough infrastructure in Mississippi, but I do think it will be extremely narrow for Jim Hood or, um, and the Republicans. And I think Jim Hood will come very close. But I think, and I think it's not out of the question uh, at all that Jim Hood could very well uh, take this one home and win. But I think for right now, I have it as favored Republican. But Kentucky, I agree. I think K Kentucky is a pure toss-up because Democrats definitely have a good infrastructure in Kentucky, maybe not in the presidential races, but in terms of other statewide races, uh, there are a lot of big names uh, in Kentucky, and Andy Bashir is one of them. Um, again, political gravity could prevail here, um, and it's not going to be certainly easy uh, for Democrats, but I definitely think uh, that Democrats have a real good shot there, which is why uh, it is a toss-up. Um, what are your thoughts on the uh, the twenty twenty governors races? I, I you know I have some opinion. I there's some things that that it's just too 
too early to see. It depends on who runs. Um, I think, I think of course, some are just very easily categorized, like North Dakota, Utah, and Washington, I think, are very obviously safe for the incumbent party with almost no reservation in my mind about any of those seats. I think North Carolina, I think, well, I haven't, you know, North Carolina is a state. Governor Cooper seems to be, you know, he's not unpopular. He's not necessarily all that popular either. Um, I think she can win re-election if the Democratic nominee either comes very close to carrying or does carry the state of North Carolina. Um, since we saw the last, the um, Hillary Clinton lagged behind and quite a bit, but but Roy Cooper wasn't feeding an unpopular Republican. That's how he was able to prevail there. I see it being possible that he's able to prevail, but I know Republicans are going to spend a lot of money to regain North Carolina. But North Carolina is going to be the hottest race in 2016. I don't think it's 2020. There is no doubt in mind that it's going to be the most expensive governor's race. Um, and I think Cooper is going to have a hard time. But I think also the national mood in 2020, the way the presidential approval rating is going, I think that, you know, if the Democrats nominate someone who is a, appealing to North Carolina voters and is able to, you know, carry the state or come very close, I think that could put Cooper over the edge because especially you can look back at trends in North Carolina, the Democratic nominee is usually for senator, governor, usually that's about two to three points better than the presidential candidate. Um, so I think that's for them to watch. I think I, th- I think Montana could be very interesting. Um, there is Montana is going to be very interesting in both the governor and senate races. There is one person I would like to see run for one of those offices. I really am a big fan of Wilmot Collins, who is the fan, who is the mayor of the state capital, Helena. He, is, he has a broad base of appeal. He's a nonpartisan race. I mean, forgot for mayor of the city, and he's, he's appealed to both a lot of Democrats and Republicans. I think he has a lot of statewide suggestions in the governor or Senate race. Um, and he seems to have a little bit, I think he has a little bit bigger profile than most of the people that are considering running. Um, there is, I think, most likely he would run as a Democrat, but I have read there is a little speculation. He might even try to run as a moderate Republican, um, which I think would be very interesting either way. I think the Democratic race would be easier to go. He'd have probably better chance to get in the primary. But I think if he were to run for Senate, or I think especially governor, he would win the governor's race. And I think he could make the Senate race tighter. Uh, New Hampshire, I don't see slipping in 2020. Um, I mean, Governor Sununu is not all that pop. It's not, you know, vaguely popular. Um, he was able to get re-elected fairly comfortably in 2018, which was a Democratic year. I, I think in some of the New England states, you know, partisan politics doesn't play, you know, is very different than how they vote at the state level and how they vote at the presidential level. I, I don't see him being in much trouble unless a particularly strong candidate comes out of the field. He is, I mean, New Hampshire tends to, I think, well, Sununu is likely um, to win re-election. I think Missouri, um, they have their, I don't remember the guy's name, um, the, the, the interim governor who took over at the right. Parson, Mike, Mike Parson. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, I think it was him. <laughs> I think, you know, I haven't heard much about him. You know, from what I can tell, he's vaguely inoffensive to everybody. You know, he's not like a firebrand like Brighton was before he got the scandal. Um, I think, you know, he should be able to hold together the increasingly conservative Missouri. Um, 
you know, some high profile person like Jason Kander or something like that where it come out of the come out of the woodworks to make a to make a run at it. Um, Missouri politics is a map that I you know, I live right across the state. I Missouri they won't say over and I always like, man, is that if Kansas politics sometimes I'm glad I spent a little in Missouri. Um, I just you know, I think someone could run on an anti corruption platform and win in Missouri. Um, so you know, someone like Jason Kander I think would be about the only way the Democrats would even have a chance. I mean, that's, that's unlikely. I mean, there's no likely you have a couple of states there. And Hartman will hold on, in my opinion, more than likely. Um, West Virginia, um, I have, a, I have a, I do have a fantasy about this race. Um, and like, you know, I would love to see, uh, you know, Richard Ojeda, who ran for the third district Congress in West Virginia. I think if he were to make a run at the governorship, I think he could make a pretty competitive race with justice. Um, I don't think he could win because I think um, due to the, you know, the deep pocket, the deep, deep pocket that Justice has, you know, being a oil, uh, being a coal billionaire, I just think it'd be too hard to overcome. But I think someone like Richard Ojeda would be the only way Democrats could even have a, could even have a respectable chance of winning. And I think he could really help, you know, someone like that running, you know, very against the coalition. I would think it could really help bring awareness to a lot of issues. And you know, I think an upset victory would not be out of the question. Again, I think that's likely. I don't see that going. Um, the Democrats, but I think if someone's a firebrand, you know, you know, someone who appeals to the working class members of West Virginia, you know, kind of brings back, bring back the old West Virginia Democratic Party with some more modern uh, politics, I think that could be very useful. Um, I think Indiana, I, I think, uh, Michigan, uh, is the governor of Indiana? Eric Holcomb. Eric, you know, I get my governors mixed up sometimes. Um, Eric Holcomb, because they're, they're very similar governors, uh, Michigan was the governor before Pence. Um, but Holcomb is, you know, more, you know, he's very different than Pence. He's a more business conservative, you know, more inoffensive, um, tends to, you know, be able to, has been able to better bridge the divide. So, you know, a lot of most of the Indiana, Willow Rock isn't seen as part of national ice block. I think this will create, a, you know, Indiana's a Republican enough state win for Donald Trump. Um, I don't see anyone in the state politics, given especially that Joe Donnelly lost. Uh, you know, he was not a good candidate, even though, you know, I, the only, um, I, in the fact that the only person who possibly could have won this race, Pete Buttigieg, is running for president. I don't see that this race will even be competitive. I would put it even below Missouri right now, um, simply because I don't see a candidate. Um, and Missouri, there's a couple of people who I think could be potential candidates that could win. I don't see that in Indiana. Um, and then we come down to Vermont, which is actually a similar situation to Indiana, where it's like it could be theoretically competitive. I just don't see a candidate. Um, and actually, I think it's somewhat of an opportunity, though, to make a point. Um, if you listen to the show, um, I would love to see Ethan Sonneborn run for the seat again. Um, I think due to the fact that most people understand now that Scott is not vulnerable in the general election, I think it would be a it would be a good, it would be an interesting idea to try to have someone with, to have a competent young candidate in the race and as the nominee and, and proving that, you know, that that's what the, you know, the party and the nation is in need to embrace um, the youth movement. I think that would be an interesting stand to see who to make that. Um, he got 8%, you know, very respectable race in the primary. Um, and 
and let's talk him a little bit. I think if he does decide to do it, I think that would be and has probably the most interesting race that would be competitive. Um, those are my opinions on the governor races. Um, I I think the Senate races are a little bit more interesting, and there's a lot of interesting We'll get to that in a second, um, but let me tell you what uh, I had down for the governor's races. So right now, the likely Republican states, which are almost impossible to flip, I had down as, U- as Utah, um, uh, open seat, uh, North Dakota, Doug Burgum, and Indiana, Eric Holcomb. Um, I agree, I really don't see anybody beating Eric Holcomb, and plus I think that Eric Holcomb, I think the other thing about Eric Holcomb is that he has very good approval ratings, um, to my knowledge, so it's going to be very hard to see him beating him, especially with the incumbency on his side. Um, In terms of favored Republicans, uh, I have, um, uh, um, right now I have uh, Missouri Mike Parson, uh, and New Hampshire, Chris Sununu. I don't think it's out of the question that Chris Sununu uh, could lose because uh, keep in mind, in 2018, the polls did show he was going to win by like 25 points and he won by 7 points. So it's not out of the question that uh, a Democrat could beat uh, Chris Sununu. However, I do think uh, it's more likely that Chris Sununu will win uh, due to his uh, solid approval numbers. Um, and then in terms of the Republican wishlist states, these are, of course, states currently uh, mo- very, very unlikely uh, to flip. Um, but for whatever reason, Republicans might have a slim chance in these states. Um, one of them is North Carolina. I think it's very, very unlikely that Republicans are going to be able to to pick up North Carolina just because of the political infrastructure Roy Cooper has built for himself in North Carolina. He's won every election for the past 20 to 30 years. Um, and plus, um, Roy Cooper also, plus Dan Forrest, who is uh, the lieutenant governor who's expected to run, um, I don't see him uh, defeating Roy Cooper I think he's a very weak candidate, so I expect even if Donald Trump wins North Carolina in the presidential race, I still expect Roy Cooper uh, to uh, win by at least double digits due to his name recognition uh, around the... You don't think the spending in that race is going to be absolutely obscene and undercut a lot of his positive name recognition and political infrastructure? Um, I, I think that I think the amount of money the Republicans are going to spend on negative advertising, yeah, and they and I, I think it's going to be. I mean, I think you might be able to win. I just I don't see being double digits like in, like this like this statewide race before governorship one. Well, you, you governorship one. Yeah. Well, you could be right, um, but I I do. I mean, if he wins, it's going to be five points and under. I don't see that race being five points in either direction. I mean, it's going to be within five points in either direction. Yeah, but at the same time, if you look at Michigan. Um, Republicans did spend a lot of money in the Michigan governor's race, uh, in 2018, um, and they lost by, like, 10 points, which was much more than expected. I mean, Michigan is a pretty standard Democratic state. Yes, it went for Trump, but it has been pretty much a Democratic state, at least at heart. Yeah. Since since they got to Reagan. So, I I don't, I mean, unlike... 
North Carolina, who's yeah. been a Democratic state since uh, since we got to the party, uh, since uh, Republican state since uh, after uh, after seventy six. Um, and then you go for both sides, and I went for Obama one. I I and then Cooper might be able to win, but it's definitely going to be a very yeah. It's going to be the race for all I'm watching at one a.m. Yeah. Um. But also, like, if you look at the Senate race, there was much less money that was poured into the Senate race. And John James came much closer to winning than uh, the Republican in the Attorney General in the uh, governor's race did to coming to, uh, to winning the governor's race. And I think Dan Forrest, the problem is Dan Forrest is a guy who's known to have a lot of gaffes. He's really a pretty weak candidate. Um, and uh, I don't know. Um, we'll see. Um, and then the other Republican wish list state... Now, I almost put this in the likely Democratic column because this is such an overwhelmingly blue state, but I did put Washington in the Republican wishlist state just for one reason, because with Jay Inslee running for president, there is, there is a slim chance that he may not run for a third term, and if he doesn't run for a third term, there's a chance Washington might be competitive because... There have been elections in the past, uh, gubernatorial elections in the past, where Republicans have come close to picking up Washington. Um, in 2012, when Barack Obama won Washington by a landslide, Jay Inslee only barely won, but he also wasn't the incumbent. In 2016, he was the incumbent, and he won by a significant margin. And frankly, if Roy Cooper or if Jay Inslee were to announce tomorrow that he was dropping out of the presidential race and he was running for a third term as governor, um, I think he would. I, I think this would no longer be even slightly competitive. Um, but because there's a chance that um, he might not run for a third term, uh, and if he doesn't run for a third term, I think there's also a chance that the. Secretary of State of Washington, who's a Republican, who's also pretty popular, might run. That might give Republicans a chance for this to be competitive, but I still find that uh, very unlikely, which is why it's in the, the wish list column. Um, but in terms of the likely Democratic states, I have one, and that's Delaware, uh, John Carney. I see no way that Delaware flips because it's it's Delaware, it's overwhelmingly blue. Um, and then uh, in terms of the Democratic wish list states, um, I have West Virginia, Jim Justice, and Vermont, Phil Scott. Um, so I think we're pretty much in agreement on that, that Democrats might be able to pick those ones up. But again, there needs to be a certain type of candidate that runs in each of the two races um, and then I had one toss-up, and that is Montana, which is, of course, an open seat. Um, this one should be a, a great opportunity for Republicans, but the problem is they could screw this one up. And if they get a bad candidate, which they've been known to do in past races, especially in Montana, this could uh, mix up their chances of winning in Montana. Um, now... Donald Trump being at the top of the ticket could help uh, whichever Republican runs in Montana for governor, um, uh, because I, I nobody believes that Montana is going to flip for the Democrat in the president in the presidential race. 
Um, and we did see in 2016, outside of the governor's race, uh, all the other um, races down ballot went to Republicans. And most people think that was because of Trump. And it should be noted that the governor's race, which was the only race statewide Democrats won in Montana in 2016, was also the only state where there was was only was also the only race where there was an incumbent running. Um, all the other races were open, and that helped the Republicans. And since this might be open, this might help Republicans. However, uh, Democrats have a lot of a good infrastructure there, and if they run a good candidate, they could really they could hold on to this uh, seat. I know Mike Cooney is think the lieutenant governor is thinking about running. Um, and Brian Schweitzer, the former governor, might even run too. So don't count Democrats out of this one uh, just yet. I think this one could easily go either way. And for that reason, I'm listing Montana in the open. Uh, or I'm listing it as a toss-up. But let's get to the Senate. You wanted to talk about the Senate. So go right ahead and start talking about the Senate. I think the Senate presents a lot of pickup opportunities, especially for Democrats. There's not a lot of really good, the only thing of opportunities I really see for Democrats for Republicans are in, is in Michigan. I think that is potentially a pickup for Republicans there. John James runs against you, ran a good race. I think Gary Peters is more beatable than Debbie Stabenow. But I think, you know, the, you know just the, the sheer... I expect Michigan to go blue in the presidential election if, we, if the Democrats run a half-decent candidate. Um, so I think that could be very hard to overcome, but it's not impossible. I think that would definitely be something that, um, that you know, that could end up being a close race. Um, like in Montana, it all depends on who runs. I think Steve Daines, you know, if he's not unpopular, I think it's going to be a harder battle than the governor's race. But again, if, it, if there's a good group of them that are running, and if Montana, for some, some reason or another, is closer than expected in the presidential election, I think that one could flip. Um, I think I do expect Arizona to flip because I think Mark Kelly would be the nominee. Um, and Arizona Republicans have been running a bunch of far right. You know, we've seen that 2018 as much Mick Sally, and I think Gerald Parma is running against those. So I think. Arizona is going to be a very good, because Mark Kelly is going to appeal to a lot of different the cross section of voters. And if, you know, I think Mark McSally said she was running again. You know, she obviously, you know, alienated a lot of more moderate voters. I think it's going to be a hard job to keep that seat Republican. They're going to try. It's going to be very narrow. I do, I'm going to, I'm, I'm putting that in wing Democrat at this point. Um, especially because I think that race is going to be competitive enough in the general election that if Mark Kelly can outperform Trump by just two, can outperform the Democratic nominee in Arizona by two or three points, I think chances are she could have a victory very easily. I do expect Alabama to flip um, to the Republicans. I don't see Doug Jones holding on. I think he's going to fight for dear life. I don't expect him to hold on. Um, Kansas, I, I love, you know, my home state. I am deeply excited about this race. Not because of political junkie, but also as a local Democrat. Um, I can tell you based on who I know is going to run on both sides, it is going to be a fact. This is going to be one of the more fascinating races we have in 2020. Um, the Kansas Senate President, Sue 
more. Um, there's numerous Chris Kobach might run, but I don't think he will if she does, and she's likely to. Um, um, State Treasurer um, Jay, uh, Jake Latrona seems like he's a more modern option compared to um, uh, Wagle. So I think, you know, I think this, again, we're going we're gonna to have another more moderate versus uh, far right primary, which was running in Kansas. That is war. That is war. <laughs> um, and I think. You know, chances are Wager would come out narrowly on top again, like Kobach did in the gubernatorial race, um, which will um, which will give the Democrats an opportunity, like they had in the governor's race. And uh, we do we are looking. Um, there's a strong candidate, former uh, district court uh, district court judge um, Barry Grisham, who was uh, who was a district court judge under Obama. Um, he's he's um, I think. Especially, we've had some national issues in the state party recently, but he is—he's left-wing enough on the issues to placate the left, but he's also he's able to placate the more establishment wing of the party. I think the party will be able to work in a more cohesive fashion, be able to unite around him very easily, um, even easier than we call it on Kelly, um, which was a little hard for some people. Um, we all came together, but I think this race is going to be. It's a very least watch, but I think this is the best, one of the best outside opportunities for Democrats to um, pick up the Senate race in Kansas. I, again, I, I have a, you know, Iowa's a little more different because it's not an open seat. Um, but I think uh, Senator Ernst is potentially very vulnerable. I think she could win re-election easily. It depends on her candidate. Um, I've read a few things about potential candidates. Um, Trying to think of someone gave me a couple names, but I did seem promising. One of them is J.D. Shelton, who almost unseated Steve King in 2018. I think he would be a very, she's a very strong campaigner. He made a race that was not expected to be close, very close. Um, there's also uh, the Biden third district, or the first district congressman, who has been, if he's very popular, I think he would have a chance at winning the seat. Um, so I think Democrats have a couple viable options there to pick up. Um, but if they pet up someone that isn't exciting or isn't a particularly good candidate, I, I do think she would be able to narrowly hold on. Um, what about Rob Sand? Because I'm hearing that Rob Sand, Rob Sand would be an okay. I'm going to say this in a couple about a couple other things. Rob Sand is in a category I call. I wish you hadn't just gotten elected because he just started his term. It would look very immature if you were to start running for Senate. Even though I would love it because he'd be a good candidate and he's well liked. Um, same thing goes for I think Garrett Polis that have a little bit less of a problem in Colorado. He wanted to run for Cory Gardner's seat only because he was a congressman before he was governor, but I think it would still look be a bad look. Um, but those are two candidates that I wish he'd run for Senate. Um, and I think will in the future, especially uh, but yeah, especially Rob Sand, he'd have to stop. Uh, maybe not, and I think when Grassley retires, I think that, that's what he, he wants to see Grassley retires. Probably won't say the Senate seat. Um, I think Georgia, again, what we saw was, I think, with the, the fact that the Republicans still have the control on the voting system, and I think what we saw with the election rigging in 2018, I don't see this being possible, even if the majority of the people were to vote, against, uh, were, were to vote for a Democrat. I don't think... The, the vote tab would come out that way. I, I do think that um, there's just too much to fix in the Georgia election infrastructure um, to be fixed before. Um, I, I think that's going to be a mess. 
again, I think it's going to be a close race, and I think the Republicans are going to pull shenanigans like they did in the governor's race. Um, I think in South Carolina, I think this is a race I'm going to, you know, I'll start to call it lean Republican. Um, but I think what I'm seeing is, I think Jimmy Harrison is going to make the race a lot closer than when he's in the beach, too. Um, I think it's going to be a nail-biter. The Democrats are going to see signs of real hope of winning at South Carolina Senate race. But I think Lindsey Graham's long-term uh, incumbency is going to fall out. But I think it's definitely going to be a much closer race than it is traditionally. Um, I don't see Virginia being particularly competitive. I don't see West Virginia being competitive. But again, if, if a you know, really firebrand candidate were to run, I think West Virginia, I think some of the places in the, in the country right now, you know, why Trump got elected is because he was speaking to an anger, but I think some people are starting to think that he may not necessarily be acting the way they expected him to and be delivering what they were promised. I think some firebrand, um, you know, maybe more socially conservative, but economically populist candidate could have a chance at winning in a city like West Virginia. I think Kentucky, you know, you might call it a, I don't know if you call it a wish list debate. I'm going to lean it likely Republican, but I think watch. I'm going to start, you know, right now I'm going to call it likely for now, but I might come back to it in a year. Um, I think this could very easily be one of the most important races in 2020. McConnell's rating is in the gutter. If Amy McGrath runs, I think that would be a great selection. And, and it's not, and you know, one day I'm looking at back in, you know, back on the path a little bit, in 2004, uh, George W. Bush won Kentucky by 20 points. Mitch McConnell won re-election by like 0.4%. It was like really tight. Um, so he's known for occasionally having a close election. And I, I think this could be another situation like that. I, you know, again, what is, you know, how, you know, how well the Trump be performing in Kentucky, you know, what are the turnout numbers? I think that, that can, again, you know, I think that could be Trump pushing McConnell over the edge. But I think that could be, again, yeah. 51.9 type weight. Um, I don't expect Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi to be remotely negative reasons. Every time it's going to fall over a bunch of nothing's going to happen. Um, I think South Dakota, I'm only interested in, I want to see if Billy Sutton runs the Senate seat. Um, I think, again, I don't think it have a chance that I can winning, but I think it make the race much more competitive. He became a two-point from the governor's race. I'm against the incumbent congressman, which was one of the known how well-known money. I think, you know, he has a real connection with people. I think that could be, again, a
had a medal award team within two points, and he was a, you know, he was a strong candidate because Ted Cruz also had a massive social conservative base. Um, I, again, think this is a thing to watch. I think it's a, a good opportunity for Democrats. But I think, you know, of course, Republicans have a lot of, have a lot of power to hang on in Texas, like if I was on 18, even with a great candidate. So I think we just need to, we kind of need to sit back and watch this race. Um, but I think it's one that, that, that the Democrats have a real shot at, and the Republicans need to have in the courts that Republicans in Texas are concerned. So I think, again, um, I have done a little calculation here, I think, that includes something like Texas, um, but doesn't include what's like Montana. Um, and also think Maine, I do not think, I do think Susan Collins will lose re-election. I think she has, Maine is a pretty moderate state, but I think for people, I think the people that have voted for her for many years are starting to become less comfortable with her. I think she's going to have a, they have raised a lot of money to go against her. There's a plethora of Maine Democrats who uh, could be able to take on the race, and I think it's possible, Colin Polk, but I do expect that to be split. So with that, um, and just because I'm including, um, right now, the way I have the math, it goes 62 Democrats, 48 Republicans to be the Senate. If you, and just to be nice, if you pick up Kansas and you take out Texas, you have a 50-50 Senate, or that includes Iowa, though. Pick out Iowa. Um, so best-case scenario really for Republicans, in my opinion, is 51-49. Um, then if you give the Democrats a victory in Texas, or you give them a victory in Kansas, we get a tight Senate. So chances are we'll, we'll be able to pull off. I think, you know, chances, you know, I have states like North Carolina rated, you know, Pleasure Republican or Montana. I think we'll be able to pull off at least one of those. So I expect a fair Democratic majority going into the uh, 2021-2023 government, um, even if Donald Trump is re-elected, I think there is enough outside force. We've seen split ticket voting kind of come back a little bit. We thought it could sort of die down, but I think there's more interest in it now um, than there ever has been. And I think there are people that you are talking about some people, but that are also going to vote for Democrats on the state level. And you know, we've seen it here in Kansas with... Um, or Kelly um, ushered into the governorship and destroying Trump Republican Chris Kobach. So I think there's a lot of people are in the Constitution a little more interested in bipartisanship. I think we, I think there's a real chance, especially with some of the candidates turning. But I think that at the very least, Democrats, the Republican majority will be winnowed um, unless there is a Republican landslide, which I don't see coming with the current political trend. All right. So here's what um, I have. So right now, all the likely Republican states, which are very unlikely uh, to flip, include uh, Wyoming, Mike Enzi, Oklahoma, James Inhofe, Nebraska, Ben Sass, Louisiana, Bill Cassidy, Alaska, Dan Sullivan, Idaho, Jim Risch, um, South Dakota, Mike Rounds, West Virginia, Shelley Moore Capito, South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, Arkansas, Tom Cotton, Tennessee, and Tennessee uh, open. Um, favored Republican states include uh, uh, Maine, Susan Collins, Iowa, Joni Ernst, uh, Georgia, David Perdue, and Alabama, Doug Jones. Of course, this would be a flip. Um, and then uh, the Republican wish list states include Virginia, Mark Warner, and New Mexico open. 
Um, the likely Democratic states, which are almost impossible to flip, include uh, New Jersey, Cory Booker, Massachusetts, Ed Markey, Delaware, Chris Coons, um, Illinois, Dick Durbin, Oregon, Jeff Merkley, and Rhode Island, uh, Jack Reed. The favored Democratic states include Michigan, Gary Peters, New Hampshire, Janine Shaheen, and Minnesota, Tina Smith, and Colorado, Cory Gardner. Of course, that would be a flip. And the Democratic wish list states include uh, Texas, John Cornyn, Mississippi, Cindy Hyde-Smith, Montana, Steve Daines, Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, and Kansas Open. And then the toss-up races include uh, Arizona, Martha McSally, Republican, and North Carolina, Tom Tillis, uh, Republican. So a lot of my reason... I just realized I made a mistake. What? I just realized I was taking my uh, analysis of the Arizona race. I referred to... Um, I need, to, I need to look this up. I should have looked this up before we did this. Okay, Arizona... I think at this point he will be the nominee because Ruben Gallego um, did say um, that, uh, or Ruben Gallego did say he's not running. Uh, we also know that uh, Woods, the former, uh, Grant Woods, the former Republican Attorney General who became a Democrat, um, also said he's not running. Of course, we don't know if Greg Stanton, the former Phoenix mayor, and Congress and freshman congressman is running, but I doubt he is going to run. Um, at one point, uh, I remember some Republicans were hoping it would be a crowded race that Gallego and Woods and Kelly um, and Stanton would all run, and then McSally would have an easy primary, and then that would help McSally divide and conquer. But now I kind of think that. Kelly is probably, they're just going to probably all step aside for Kelly. And I think Kelly is a good candidate. Um, I think um, he might struggle a little bit with the issue of guns because I think it's expected because he's married to Gabby Giffords that he's probably going to make gun control a big issue of the campaign. Um, and in, in in Arizona, they, there are a lot of big Second Amendment voters in Arizona, so that might not help him, uh, but he is an attractive candidate. The only other thing I will say, though, that you, we should watch is who's going to win Arizona in the 2020 presidential race, because um, I think that's a toss-up in the presidential race. Um, I think if Donald Trump carries it, I think down-ballot voting uh, could help McSally narrowly edge out a victory um, in Arizona. And, um, I think though, if the Democrat gets it, I think, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kelly is very likely, uh, to win. Um, also North Carolina, I know some people have it as favored Republican. I have it as favored, um, or I have it as a toss up because it is North Carolina. Um, North Carolina is a purplish state. I suppose, you know, it did go for Trump and Romney narrowly, 
and Tillis is the incumbent. But at the same time, Tillis's approval rating is very meh. It's not terrible, but it's not great. There's actually one approval. There was one poll that came out that showed he had a 47% approval rating and a 47% disapproval rating. Um, but I think he might have a problem with, uh, or he, I think he might have a problem with the base because he's known to be not a very pro-Trump senator. Um, and he's already gotten a primary challenger who I don't think will win the nomination, but could make it slightly competitive. Um, and that could hurt him in North Carolina. But I still do think that if Trump carries North Carolina in 2020, and I do think he's slightly favored to win North Carolina, then I do believe that um, Tillis should be able uh, to hold on. Um, in terms of the Democratic wish list, I think Texas, I think the thing is John Cornyn is a lot, he's a, he's a better candidate than Ted Cruz is, uh, a much better candidate than Ted Cruz is. Um, I think he will have a, he, he could have a somewhat competitive race, um, if Joaquin Castro chooses to run, uh, sorry, what were you going to say? Um, that's all right. Um, I think Beto O'Rourke, if Beto O'Rourke ran, announced he was going to run again, this could have been a real nail biter, but as we all know, Beto O'Rourke is running for president. Cindy Hyde Smith, I think could have a competitive race in Mississippi. Um, it, of course, she did have a competitive race in 2018. And I am hearing reports that Mike Espy is uh, considering another run for the Senate. So this isn't certainly is not a race to write off immediately, but it is still Mississippi. And if and I, I, nobody expects Donald Trump to lose Mississippi in the 2020 election. That should help Cindy Hyde-Smith uh, eventually. Uh, Montana Steve Daines. Um, really, I think at this point, if Brian Sch uh, Schweitzer doesn't run, um, then I don't see uh, anybody, any Democrat beating Steve Daines. Um, I think um, Steve Bullock might have had a chance, but Steve Bullock is now saying he doesn't want it. So I think unless Brian Schweitzer runs, which I think might be unlikely just because he's been out of the political limelight for a while, then I think this should, this should be, uh, this should go to Steve Daines. And then Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, but you're right, Mitch McConnell does have terrible approval ratings, and we do need to see if Amy McGrath does run or not, because if she does run, this has the potential to be a real nail-biter. Um, it could be almost like a Texas 2018 Beto O'Rourke type of scenario, but it is Kentucky. Um, there have been some close Senate races, but ultimately there hasn't been a Democratic senator in Kentucky since the 1990s. Um, and I do think Mitch McConnell, I mean, he can raise a lot of money. He does a good job of raising a lot of money. And Trump is probably going to win the state by a landslide. Down ballot voting should benefit McConnell. Um, in terms of the favored Democratic states, Michigan, I uh, I agree. John James could make this one close. Sorry, we're good. Is my microphone acting up again? I no, I can hear you just fine. No, but I, I think I get something that sounds like I want to talk right now. Okay. But anyways.
Um, so yeah, so Michigan, I think, I think that Gary Peters, um, I think he's probably, he has the advantage here, um, because as you said, the Democrats probably going to win Michigan and Gary Peters is a pretty good candidate. Um, because, um, if you remember Gary Peters in 2014, when it was a, uh, a Republican wave year, Gary Peters was not only the only Democrat to win an open race um, in the 28 or an open Senate race in the 2018 midterms, but he was also the only um, he also won by 14 points, which was a much bigger than expected margin in a Republican wave year. Um, so that should help him. Um, but again, John James, he, he was also running against a, a not so great candidate. Um, in 2014 and John James, if he chooses to run, he's a pretty good candidate. Um, and this could be a real nail biter, especially if Republicans pour more money into this race than they did in the 2018 Senate race between Stabenow and James, um, New Hampshire, Janine Shaheen. Again, um, this is New Hampshire. He should, uh, she should, you know, New Hampshire is a purple state, but, um, Republicans probably aren't going to win here, um, just because Janine Shaheen is a popular incumbent. Um, really the only, there are only two candidates I could see, um, making this race. Well, there's three candidates I could see making this race competitive, potentially. Um, maybe Scott Brown, but that's really unlikely since he's, uh, currently serving as ambassador to New Zealand. Um, uh, there's also maybe Kelly Ayotte, although I am hearing that her, um, her team is saying a lot of people that work for her are saying that she's, she has a job in the, in the pub, in the private sector, and she is unlikely to run for political office in 2020, although she might, uh, challenge Maggie Hassan to a rematch in 2022. Um, but aside from that, the only other one I could see potentially really making this one a nail-biter is Chris Sununu, the sitting governor, and he says he doesn't want it. Uh, so um, for that reason, again, Republicans might have a chance in New Hampshire, but right now it's looking really good for Janine Shaheen. Um, and then in Minnesota, Tina Smith. Again, uh, Republicans um, do – again, Republicans have seen a big up target of opportunity in Minnesota. They do see for the past couple of years, they have seen opportunities uh, to make gains in Minnesota, but they did not do very well in the 2018 midterms in Minnesota. And if uh, Donald Trump, you know, if Democrats win Minnesota, it's very unlikely that they're going to get this one, but don't rule it out for Republicans yet. There are still some candidates that could run that could win. They did get a very weak candidate in 2018. If they get a better candidate, they might be able to uh, make this race a little bit closer than they did uh, in the 2018 election. And if it's narrow, I do think Democrats are favored in Minnesota, but if it is narrow in Minnesota in 2020, like it was in the 2016 election, then that could make this race a lot closer, Minnesota a lot closer for the Republican that runs. But right now, Tina Smith is favored. 
and Colorado, Colorado is just moving more and more safely uh, into the Democratic column. And Cory Gardner isn't a popular incumbent, and he can't even appeal to the base, frankly. Um, he's really an out-of-touch senator, so for that reason, he is favored to lose in Colorado. Um, and then in terms of the uh, Republican wish list, New Mexico, it's pretty much a blue state, but it's not 100% a blue state. Overall, the Democrats should hold on to this one, but Republicans might might come close um, I know that, um, the one person who ran in 2012 did very well in spite of how well Obama did in the, uh, in the, uh, New Mexico, uh, in New Mexico in 2012. However, I do think that, uh, Democrats overall will probably come on top. Um, this one very unlikely to flip, but Republicans do have a small target of opportunity. Again, same thing with Virginia. I think Republicans have a very small target of opportunity here, but at the same time, Mark Warner only won by a point in 2014, um, which indicates he may be a weaker incumbent than Tim Kaine. Um, and, uh, in terms of the favored Republican states, Alabama, Doug Jones, I don't see a way that, um, I, I don't see much of a way Doug Jones can hold on here. Um, he, he did win. I think the, the thing about the special election is funky, weird things tend to happen during special elections. Um, and, um, this isn't going to be a special election. I think that's probably why Doug Jones got in in the first place. Um, but that shouldn't help. Um, Doug Jones in 2020. Um, keep in mind, Doug Jones ran against uh, the most, probably the most, probably the worst candidate Republicans could have possibly uh, ran uh, in the special election in 2017. Um, however, um, even then, Doug Jones only won by two points against uh, a potential child molester. Um, so uh, I think this one is pro is pretty unlikely to stay in Doug Jones's favor, especially with Donald Trump at the top of the ticket. Uh, in terms of Georgia, uh, in 2018, we saw that Republicans did win most of the state. They went, I think, they won all the statewide races in Georgia in 2018, but they did come close. Um, to losing um, many of the, the key uh, statewide races in Georgia in 2018. Um, so for this reason, it's favored for the Republicans, but don't count the Democrats out. And, we, and let's keep an eye on Stacey Abrams because she might run again. Um, she also might run for president, but I'm hearing conflicting reports about whether she's going to run for Senate or for president. So keep an eye on that. As for Iowa, I have that as slightly favored for the Republican. I think that Democrat, Democrats might have a chance here, especially since they did very well in the congressional races in 2018. Um, however, Joni Ernst is a pretty strong candidate. Um, she um, She's very good at bringing the pork home, uh, no pun intended. Um, but I, I think she can raise a lot of money. Um, and for that reason, it's going to be very hard to beat her. Um, and I think Trump is slightly favored to win Iowa in 2020. So that should help, 
um, Joni Ernst. And Maine, I actually do have his favorite Republican. Um, I, I do understand the Democrats have a lot better infrastructure. They essentially have a two-to-one infrastructure uh, over Republicans in New England. However, uh, one of the things about uh, Susan Collins that we saw is that after the Kavanaugh hearings, her approval rating actually didn't go down. Uh, it actually pretty much stayed the same. And she does have a popular, uh, she is mostly popular, um, but, um, and we, and right now there were polls that actually came out, um, that showed, um, she was leading, uh, Sarah Gideon, uh, a potential candidate and Susan Rice by landslides. Um, and if that's the case, um, then I would expect Susan Collins, uh, to win re-election. And then the other problem I think Democrats have in that race is what are they going to, I mean, they have to find something else to campaign on other than just Kavanaugh. Um, so Kavanaugh, I think definitely is something they could use. Um, but I think overall, I think, uh, Susan Collins is a well-known popular incumbent in Maine. And I think that should help her win re-election. However, um, I do think that um, this one, this election is going to be a lot tougher for Susan Collins. Um, Elizabeth Warren, I think she, she has a long road to the nomination. I don't see it, but if she were to be the nominee, I think she's going to be able to appeal to the liberal base. But again, like Andrew Yang, you know, she's, she's campaigning more on reformative capitalism rather than you know being a little more, even though policy-wise, they're pretty, she's pretty close to Sanders. You know, she uses a little bit more friendly terms that might sound more appealing to conservatives. Um, so I think Warren, even though she's not the fiercest campaigner, I think that's why she's down on my list, but I still think she could win. And I think Amy Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar is the only real centrist I have on my list that I think could win. Um, even though I think that she's uninspiring to the base, I think she could pull off a victory by upsetting the industrial Midwest. I think her victory is a lot closer than everybody else's. I don't see her picking up Texas or Arizona or even Florida necessarily, but I think she could win just enough states by winning by winning back Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio. Um, I, I think and I think Pete Buttigieg is the same thing, but he would have a little bit more appeal outside of the Midwest. But I think he would have a little bit more um, base appeal, um, which would ensure that we um, maybe we have a little bit better chance of him. Um, okay, those are my candidates, but I really think I'm shocked. Again, I think there's, I think, but I think the nomination, what I'm seeing right now, just on the, I'm just on the road to Milwaukee, I see Bernie Sanders is, I, I'm excluding Biden from this right now since he has not announced. Um, Biden is the front, um, I, that's fine, not bad. Bernie Sanders is the front runner, just based on everything from just grassroots support to, I mean, I think the grassroots is that's the end of round, then once we start getting people knocking doors, making calls in Iowa and New Hampshire, I think we're really going to see this number go in this direction. I, I just think he, like he's tapped something. I really think he's going to more than likely win a good majority of the early primaries, and he will be seen as a force. Um, I think, and I think, um, I mean, we've seen a lot of, We've seen Yang and Buttigieg rise recently, especially Buttigieg, but Yang is steadily rising. Um, I expect once he's in the debate, I do expect there to be a big, inter- a big uh, jump in interest for him, and I expect him to catapult into the top tier. Um, 
Warren is a shame that she's um, kind of stagnating. I was hoping she was going to be a very popular candidate, but she's not. And I, I think now she's probably angling for Labor Secretary or something like that. Um, Kamala Harris, we've seen she has struggled to connect the base. I mean, there are, of course, she's getting a lot of the Hillary Clinton donors and base, which we've learned is not necessarily the good thing. I don't think, you know, I think, I think if Kamala Harris' nominee is going to be a repeat of Hillary Clinton. I think the same, um, she's appealing to the same primary voters, she's not going to gain a lot more new voters. I mean, I think there are just some people who hate Donald Trump enough, maybe, and they didn't hate him in 2016, but I don't, I don't see Kamala Harris winning the presidential election. They might be a little bit closer to 2016, but I don't see it being close. Um, but I also, I think she's, she's going to be in the top five of candidates. I think right now, the nomination, the top five votes without five. Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, and whatever, uh, top, my other top person is going to be the top five. Um, um, I have this all figured out. Um, uh, um, I'm just trying to make sure I say this. Um, how's it going to be those are definitely top four names that are going to be, uh, I think some of the big, um, uh, I think those are individual players supposed to get later on the primary season. I don't, you know, it's, you know, there's even some more candidates who are being more progressive that I don't see, um, catching on. Gillibrand is not catching on. I mean, Klobuchar, well, I think he would win a general, is not catching on. Um, uh, really, we're, I mean, we're seeing who's getting the more and who's losing it. Um, even very early on. I mean, it's very hard early on the game, but I think there's so many candidates in this race. We're going to have candidates. Uh, we're going to have, we're, I mean, we're going to have quite a few candidates dropping out um, before the debate, um, before the, before voting begins. Um, there are also some interesting candidates. Um, I admit I actually haven't met one of them. I did meet Eric Swalwell when he came to speak to the Kansas Young Democrats. Um, he seems like a nice guy. Not, 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 not anyone in my first choice, but I think he's going to be an interesting candidate. Um, I really am appreciative to Jay Inslee for running and really him on the issue of climate change, even though he has no chance of winning the nomination. Um, so I think there are some interesting candidates out there that are really on the peripheral, but I think we all need to pay attention to. Um, I think the debates are going to be an interesting time. I think that I think after the first couple of debates, I will be able, I will be able to come back and say I know I, I think I will know who the nominee will be after the first couple of debates and I've been gauging public reaction to those debates and you know who the polls they want and stuff like that. Right now, I'm really speculating based on numbers and based on you know social media and based on what the enthusiasm seems to be, um, and you know who's getting what types of money. Even though mm-hmm. people like Beto, and I think Beto's going to the wild. I don't think he's going to be in. A, I think two two months from now he's going to have to be going to care about that campaign. Um, a lot of shady stuff going on in that race. I, I don't see him. Um, if he decides to stay in past Iowa, I don't see him. I don't see him lasting too long. Um, but yeah, but there's a lot of interesting races, but I really don't. I think there's going to be about four or five top vote getters that are going to be really playing a role. I think based on how many candidates, and it depends on how one month stays in though. I think 2020 Milwaukee DNC. I'm worried it could be a little bit of a repeat of the 1960 Chicago convention. I think we're going to be there's a good chance of walking into a contested convention, and I that would be not a fun time. Yeah. Um, but I think if that happens, I'm certainly 
league, regardless of who we nominate, maybe exclude Bernie Sanders, the Republicans will win. Um, I think Bernie Sanders would be able to overcome it with his with just his grassroots um, and activist base. But um, I think stigma around that would provide um, Trump just a road for normalcy, and you know people who really the Democrats out there are crazy. Um, I think that's what would happen more than likely if we go into the convention. Because I know that all right do you want me to well here's what uh my uh my map looks like so for my electoral map um so right now uh the electoral map i have uh includes alaska utah idaho montana uh uh montana wyoming north dakota south dakota nebraska's at large district as well as the first and third district uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, um, Kentucky, uh, Indiana, West Virginia, and South Carolina is likely Republican. They're very, they're almost impossible to flip. Uh, right now, um, uh, the um, Nebraska's second congressional district, as well as Maine's second congressional district as well as North Carolina, Iowa, and Florida, are all favored uh, for the Republicans. Um, as for um, the uh, for Republican wish list states, there are two, uh, Colorado and Virginia, very unlikely to flip, um, but they were closed in 2016, so who knows. Um, and then um, uh, in terms of Favored Democratic states, I have Nevada, Minnesota, uh, Michigan, which would of course be a flip, um, uh, and uh, New Hampshire, uh, and then also Maine's at-large district is slightly favored. In terms of toss-ups, uh, there's three, uh, Alabama, or no, sorry, not Alabama, uh, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. And in terms of likely Democratic states, there's California, Hawaii, uh, Oregon, Washington, uh, New Mexico, uh, Illinois, New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, uh, Minnesota, the District of Columbia, and Maine's first congressional district. So if you if if I'm right then that would leave Donald Trump at 249 electoral votes and generic Democrat at 248 electoral votes. Um, anything you agree or disagree with? Oh, and one, th- one, other, one other thing that I wanted to mention. The three Democratic wish list states are uh, Texas, Oregon, or sorry, Texas, Ohio, and Georgia. Sorry, continue. argument that it's moving a little too far gone. And I think it depends on the nominee. If the nominee is someone more populist, populist like Sanders, I think it'll be much more closer to the toss-up. But if we nominate someone more established, I think that will easily go to Trump. I just think that depends on yeah. the nominee. That's why I'm having a, I think I will not be able to rate state effectively really until I see where a nominee is just because I think each nominee has, each potential nominee has so many potential different strengths. Yeah. Um, there's some candidates that better in the South. There were some candidates that were better in the West. There were some candidates that were better in the Midwest. There were some better candidates that, you know, were just on the, uh, that would be better in the Northeast. 
don't know if it depends on who the candidate is. I think, um, but I mean, it's probably hard for me to look at this in a vacuum and say, okay, you should look at it go this way. I, I, I think the one thing I say is likely is at least some of the states, like Wisconsin and Michigan, will go back to the Democrats. Um, not all of them, but I expect that, I, I especially expect Wisconsin and Michigan to flip back. Especially Wisconsin electing Governor Everett. Uh, and re-election Senator Baldwin by 10 points. I think that still shows that they are a civil democratic seat at heart, but they did not like Hillary Clinton. I can I, raise Michigan electing um, a democratic governor. And then again, all, all Iowa. Iowa is not as Republican as Ohio yet, you know, given that they love the broad sand and three out of the four members of Congress are now Democrats. So I think Iowa is a more top of state, well, Michigan and Wisconsin, I'm going to go ahead and say those are leaning Democrats. Um, and again, I think Texas is going to be much closer to a top of state um, based on the polls I've seen and based on the Democratic enthusiasm. Um, and in the Republicans, of course, going to fight hard, but I don't see that being, um, I think it's going to be better within reach. Um, I expect, I mean, out of anything, I definitely expect Pennsylvania to affect, especially with the landslide that some of the Democrats had in 2018 um, in the governor's race. I think that they are still firmly Democratic. Yeah. Um, I, 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 so I really see, I think the president has a hard time getting reelected just based on mass. Um, yeah. And based on where I think electoral alliance is elected a lot. Because I think any candidate we put up, maybe save for Cory Booker, would be better than Donald Trump. I would be better than Hillary Clinton in terms of performance. Um, it's okay for the bad. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to take it, I'm looking at the map here. Um, but, but at the same time, the math didn't benefit him in 2016 either. It did. The, the math didn't um, benefit him. But I think, I don't see Wisconsin and Michigan staying blue, or staying red. I just don't see it. Um, maybe given that in 2014, um, the Republicans had won the Wisconsin governor's race and had won the Michigan governor's race, had lost Pennsylvania, but that was kind of erroneous. Um, but given the large results, especially in Michigan and Pennsylvania, I don't see, especially with Trump's approval in those states, I don't see how he holds on um, in those states. I mean, it's possible, especially as a Democratic candidate for 30. Um, like if Booker's been on the I think something Spanish happened in Minnesota and Maine. Um, like, I, I do believe Booker holds him up to the most worst time than he needs to pick. I agree with that. Um, so I think, barring that it's not someone like him, I think he do very well. Um, you know, if you need to pick a more popular, you know, more candidate that can really appeal to the working class, that's why I think Sanders is not only my number one in terms of just likely to win, I think he's, he is the best chance for flipping the seat. I mean, if you look at a lot of his proposals, while some consider them a little more radical, if you, if you pull them, they're straight dead center on the American people. I mean, most of his issues fall somewhere between 55 and 70 percent approval. So I think he would have a, I think he could, and I think he could, you know, he's a very good convincer. He's going to, you know, he's going on doing a town hall and talk to me. He knows how to appeal to conservatives while not, um, I, you know, while not um, bothering down his ideology. And I think that will be very, very helpful. Unlike Hillary Clinton, who just came off the bullish pressure. Um, mm. So I think that's why he is the strongest candidate, but I think there are other candidates who can, who can take the party to victory. Um, so it's just going to be a long, long slog. 
I mean, there's going to be Iowa and New Hampshire. I think it's going to be especially important in 2020 because of how many Democratic candidates they are. I think it's going to win up the field down to about the 16 to 5 very quickly. Um, so by the time we're talking, by the time we're for Tuesday, we're going to be talking about the race between four or five Trump people, which is still much more than we're used to. But it's, ma- it's a manageable campaign at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then we're, and then eventually we'll be down to two. I, you know, I'm very worried. You know, I'm still very worried about the idea of a contestant. But I think it's healthy for the party to have a, have a good primary. Um, and, you know, as a Democrat, I'm quite excited about it. And I think we have, a, we have quite a few good candidates. Um, running, I haven't quite picked mine yet. I still have a couple of decisions to make, so I'm going to be supporting. But um, my two favorites right now are Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg with, um, with Andrew Yang uh, at number three. Um, you know, my, my my list of favorites is closely to my list of um, electability, but it's, I think, and I think that's somewhat why I picked them as my favorites because I think they're electable, but also they have a good line more with some of the beliefs on. Um, so I think we've got a long race ahead. I think it's going to be healthy for the party. It's going to be it's going to get nasty at times. I think at some point it's, I think it could get way nastier than even the away primary did um, or the 2015 Republican primary, which wasn't that competitive actually. Though I think it's going to be a highly competitive function that is going to kind of bring out all the different factions and everyone. You know, to really find a candidate we find agreeable and whatever. So I think it's going to be an important race. I think. You know, definitely come after me in September or October if I think the same thing because I'm likely not going to say exactly the same thing because simply there's going to be a lot more information. We're going to see the candidates on a debate speak a couple times, which is always a big indicator. Like, I didn't have a lot of hope in Sanders in 2016 until I saw him debate, and I realized, okay, he can be a, 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 a good, uh, a good uh, candidate. I mean, it's tough. When I saw him first at the first couple Republican debates, I started to go, I went from, this is a joke to, oh, I see what he's doing, and this appeals to people. You know, so really, you can see this, you know, I can see a candidate in a vacuum giving their own rally, but seeing them with the other candidates and how they react and how people perceive that reaction, it keeps, that's a huge boom um, that really does, that, that's a huge factor that really does change the people's view of race um, and, how, and how voters will behave. Um, so I think, you know, what, I think that's going to be the most important part to seeing the debate and seeing, and seeing what and um, seeing which party electorate gets more. But, um, I, you know, speaking of it, I think there's, there is likely to be some sort of central right challenger to Donald Trump. I don't know if it's going to be Larry Hogan. I don't know if it's going to be Bill Weld. I don't know if it's going to be someone like that. But, but John Kasich seems like he's more opening up right now. Um, I do think, I do not think they will win, but I think possibly. You know, if they could get 30% in New Hampshire, I think that would be a huge deal. Um, same way George H.W. Bush, while well, he won against that weekend, and it was, you know, now when it sort of somewhat embarrassed the president, I think the Democrats goal of anyone trying to see that is just, a, you know, you get a good showing and embarrass the president, show that he's full party behind him. Well, well uh, I have seen a lot of polls that show some approval among Republicans is very high. I, I've been told by some people who say that isn't necessarily the case. Everywhere, well, you know, Middle America, it definitely is. If they places like New Hampshire, um, there's a little, there's a little more, there's a little more you know, uh, standoffishness to Trump and the Republican Party. There's a chance someone um, from anti-Trump Republicans that enter the New Hampshire area and do okay. 
um, and do and, and kind of have the Tribune Standard effect of reloading the party. Um, unlike Trump, I don't think um, I don't think he would have tried to appeal. I don't I don't think Trump would try to appeal the moderates as much as uh, Bush tried to appeal the social conservatives. Um, you know that I think you know as much people give um, the line "read my left a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of issues bringing Bush down. I think it was that a lot of it was also a lot of it was the '92 convention um, where he super appealed to religious conservatives and alienated uh, alienated a lot of moderates. Actually, I have a funny story at the Democratic convention here in Kansas. Um, Laura Kelly gave a small talk to all the young Dems in a small room. And she was talking, now back then, in, you know, in the, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, she was still a Republican. Um, she had been, um, you know, working in a military family, very conservative. Um, and, you know, she watched, she watched the 92 convention on television, and she was like, okay, I'm done. Like, she had already sort of, maybe thought she's, you know, maybe a Democrat, but she watched the 92 convention on TV, she was like, no, this is not my party. Um, so I think, you know, I think, some way, you know, if Trump were trying to appeal, if Trump had said, okay, fine, you know, you came close, and we need to appease uh, the more moderate. And so they go off and they, um, they switch to the vice president and pick Larry Hogan for vice president, and it's a very different convention than Iran in 2016, he will lose. If it would be the same problem as Bush, he would lose your base. Mm-hmm. In Bush's case, he lost moderate. I think Trump appeals to the other fashion, he loses his base. Uh, you wouldn't gain any moderate and it'd be a lose lose situation, um, like it was for Bush. So, because um, I think I think I think this election has a lot of parallels going into it that um, that ninety two did, that ninety two did. Um, and of course it's not an exact parallel what we have in some president who was somewhat swept into office against an or which against an incompetent democratic um stuff like that and that I think with the right challenger will not be hard to see. Um, you know, George Bush was much more popular than Donald Trump was until right up until closer to the election. I think I think another election campaign could be very very daunting for Trump and I think he's able to seem somewhat popular. Um, you know, he's not you know has pool rating usually covers in the you know off in the thirties, lower forties, which isn't especially bad. Um, but it isn't good either. I think that he's just going to have a lot of trouble winning re-election. It's not out of the question, you know, incumbency and political so logic advantages to a candidate. Um, so right now, I I have no presidential race. It's like a slight Democratic lean just based on the national mood and how big the midterm was for the Democrats and where we saw Democrats winning. But at the same time,
did I notice there were different, but I think there are some parallels to previous, previous years in the way you've seen it. I think for Democrats, especially, you know, in 06, you know, they, they landslided the office in the town and they landslided in 08. Um, and, and I think that you know, then there was 74 out of Watergate, and then they, they won 76 narrowly, Jimmy Carter. So I think, and Jimmy Carter is some of the example of this, because Gerald Ford was not particularly unpopular. Um, he was kind of somewhat, you know, a lot of people didn't feel, you know, trustworthy because of the party next, but he wasn't, you know, he. Um, but Jimmy Carter was able to beat him by just, you know, kind of saying, you know, let's bring normalcy back and let's sort of take the country in a new direction. And, and I think a Democrat could have been on that, but if they try to run, and he, you know, he ran on his issue. I think we're going to need a candidate like who is, you know, very, has very clear ideas, is not trying to say he pretty much agrees to the other party, which people like Biden pretty much do. But if you have a candidate with strong convictions, but tries to market himself in a way, or herself in a way, that appeals to voters on the other side, I think that Warren does very well, something David just does very well, something Sanders does very well, and Yang does very well. And they all four do very well if they know how to market themselves to conserve, which is like compromising the country. And that's why they're all on my side. That's why they're on my side. I think it's just, I'm excited for the race. It's going to be a long slog. It's going to be a lot easier to get predicting this as people drop out and as uh, we get more reliable phone numbers um, and you start to really see a trend. Yeah. Um, so, um, I agree with you that I think Bernie Sanders probably has the best chance of beating Donald Trump of all the Democrats declared and rumored um, as of this point. Um, however, I do think as of right now, I would say Biden is probably the slight favorite to win the nomination, though that could change. It's a long ways away. Um, in terms of uh, the... Um, in terms of Ohio, the reason I have that as a Democratic wishlist state is because I saw a report that apparently one of the big DNC donors is thinking about focusing more time and energy uh, towards um, other states than Ohio because they're they're just not that confident in Ohio. Um, so I think if that's the case then they don't have much of a ground game in Ohio. Um, and I think it's foolish not to campaign as hard as you can in Ohio, but who knows. Um, but I'm also hearing, because here's the thing, the reason I have Michigan as lean Democratic is because I agree um, that's probably going to go back to the Democrats because Trump only won it by 11,000 votes. And it took a week for them to actually officially confirmed that Donald Trump won Michigan in 2016. However, uh, Wisconsin, I think, is a little bit of a different story because Trump does have a good ground game uh, there. I think he has a good uh, ground game in Wisconsin. He's been going to, he's been holding rallies in Wisconsin a lot too. Um, but at the same time, he only won it by a point in 2016 um, and, uh, Democrats did do very well during the midterms, but for that reason, it's a toss up. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. But anyways, um, anything else you, uh, wanted to add? No, I think, uh, I think we're, 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 we
All right. Um, I just think that, well, one thing I do want to add, it is a Thank you again for joining me, Jack. No problem. Um, have a good night. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you. He's become a hero to some, a threat to others. He is America's 45th president. Donald Trump has gone from billionaire real estate mogul to television personality to leader of the free world for almost four years. Now, he hopes to be America's commander-in-chief for eight years. This is President Donald Trump, and this is his story. The Candidates Donald Trump has got to be defeated, and I intend to do everything that I can with every other progressive in America making sure that that happens. Their stories. We got a real opportunity to build something. And their fight for the White House. Keep America great! Exclamation point. Keep America great. This is Presidential Profile 2020. At that inflection moment, where were you? This is that moment. It's our job to remind the American people that we're looking out for them. So all of you, showing the country how you do this. The special interests and the powerful have such an outsized influence and outcome to restore our democracy. Donald John Trump was born on June 14th. 1946 in Queens, New York to Fred and Mary Ann, both successful real estate developers. He is of Palestinian and Scottish descent. Trump grew up in Queens and attended Q Forest School from kindergarten up until grade 7. He joined the New York Military Academy when he was 13 before transferring to go to Wharton High School and University of Pennsylvania. In college, he helped out with the family business. In the 1960s, Trump was eligible to serve in the draft. However, he received multiple deferments due to medical issues surrounding leg spurs, a point of contention over the years. Trump is presbyterian, 
Trump's brother, Fred Jr. died of alcoholism. As a result, Trump himself does not drink video Trump and his father started a business together in 1968 called E. Trump and Son. It was sued for racial discrimination in 1969. The case was settled under Fred. Eventually, Fred resigned to become chairman, making Donald president and CEO of the company. The company was later renamed the Trump Organization. The company was later sued again for racial discrimination as the Trump were accused of making unfair living arrangements for African Americans. I have no intention of running for president, but I'd like the point to get across that we have a great country, but it's not going to be great for long if we're going to continue to lose $200 billion. Trump put those suspicions aside, instead focusing on the business. Trump became a pop culture sensation and would go on to cameo in multiple different movie projects such as The Little Rascals, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York and Zoolander. He also starred in a series of commercials for McDonald's. I put together some really impressive deals, but this thing you've pulled off, it's amazing. A big and tasty for just a dollar? How do you do it? What's your secret? Got a buck? You're in luck, because you can get a delicious, beefy, big and tasty, a McChicken sandwich, and lots of your other favorites on McDonald's dollar menu every day. Together, Grimace, we could own this town. However, in 2000, Trump announced his candidacy for the presidency. Trump announced he'd be running on the Reform Party for president, running a progressive campaign at the time supporting partial birth abortion and universal health care. He criticized his primary opponent, former White House communications director, Pat Buchanan for what is so-called far-right positions. I just think it's ridiculous. I mean, he wrote a book because, look, he's a Hitler lover. I guess he's an anti-Semite. He doesn't like the blacks. He doesn't like the gays. I, 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 it's just incredible that anybody could embrace this guy. Trump eventually obtained the Reform Party's nomination and said he'd be interested in marrying his longtime girlfriend, Slavic supermodel Milana Janavs, also known as Miliana. Many questioned if Trump's campaign was serious. Eventually Trump dropped out and Buchanan was chosen as the party's new nominee. Trump went back to business and started the hit show The Apprentice. Because Mr. Trump, I was... Hey look, you claim to be like me. The difference is I work hard. You've been lazy, you've been nothing but trouble, and now you cut them off as they're fighting each other for who should be fired. Oh, Michael, yes. Michael. Yes, sir. You're fired. In 2004, Trump married Melania. At the time, many New York elitists such as New York Senator and former First Lady Hillary Clinton were in attendance. Trump eventually started a spin-off show, The Celebrity Apprentice. However, Trump would soon be back in the political spot. I want him to show his Trump made national headlines again when he questioned President Barack Obama's American citizenship and demanded to see his birth certificate to prove he wasn't Kenyan. In 2009, 
Trump changed his party registration back to Republican and considered running for either governor of New York in 2010 or for president of the United States in 2012, Trump declined both offers. Trump endorsed former Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney in his fight to win the presidency, holding multiple fundraisers for him. Ultimately, Romney lost to Obama, but in 2016, Trump made a crucial announcement. I will be the greatest jobs president that God ever created. Trump came under fire for his controversial stance on immigration and controversial comments made about Arizona Senator John McCain. Regardless, Trump became the front-runner in the Republican primary, challenging candidates like Texas Senator Ted Cruz, Ohio Governor John Kasich and former Florida Governor Jeb Bush. Trump became extremely controversial for his positions on immigration, his travel ban idea, and comments overall deemed offensive by many. His performance during debates led to a ratings jump for multiple TV stations. Additionally, Trump came at odds with the press, who he accused of being unfair to him, and was lambasted by many for comments he made about women. In spite of this, Trump remained the front-runner in the polls consistently, and eventually won the Republican nomination for president. Trump faced now former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Trump chose Indiana Governor and former Congressman Mike Pence as his running mate. I would tell you that for me, the sanctity of life um, proceeds out of the belief that that ancient principle that um, where, where God says, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And so for my first time in public life, I've sought to stand with great compassion for the sanctity of life. The campaign between Clinton and Trump became heated, but two weeks before the election, a controversial video from Access Hollywood was revealed featuring Trump in a conversation with reporter Billy Bush stating disparaging comments about women. Multiple Republicans called on Trump to drop out, but Trump declined. Consequently, Clinton saw a major uptick in polls as a result. The New York Times gave Clinton a 97% chance of winning the White House. In spite of this, Trump campaigned hard in the Rust Belt, in hopes to win over typically populist, left-leaning voters. A few weeks before Election Day, FBI Director James Comey reintroduced an investigation into Clinton's email scandal, regarding a private server she used as Secretary of State. Many people have accused Comey of using this as a political tool to prevent her from winning the White House. In the huge news, uh, actually, the AP now projecting that Donald Trump has won the state of Pennsylvania. That is uh, the race, frankly. Uh, there is no path forward for Hillary. Election Day, Trump shocked the crowd by winning the Electoral College vote. He managed to flip six states Barack Obama carried in 2012, Ohio. Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, 
Pennsylvania and Florida. This made the election the first time since George H.W. Bush's victory in 1988 that a Republican presidential candidate carried Pennsylvania, Michigan and Maine's first congressional district. It also made him the first Republican candidate since Ronald Reagan in 1984 to carry Wisconsin. The election left voters shocked with many blaming what they saw as Clinton's poor campaign decisions for her loss. In spite of her loss, Clinton won the national popular vote by nearly 2 million votes, leading Senator Barbara Boxer, DCA, to draft a bill to abolish the Electoral College. The election saw the most amount of faithless votes of any election. In Washington state, Former Secretary of State Colin Powell received three electoral votes, whilst activist Faith Spotted Eagle received one, making her the first Native American to receive any electoral votes. In Texas, Ohio Governor John Kasich and Ron Paul, who was a congressman from the state, each received an electoral vote. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders also received an electoral vote out of the state of Hawaii. Mike Pence became the 48th Vice President of the United States. At age 70, Trump was the oldest president ever inaugurated. On January 20, 2017, the day of his inauguration, Trump filed to run for re-election as president. Trump received polarized reaction for his travel ban, his proposed border wall, the GOP tax cut and his trade policy amongst other things. In 2018, Trump announced a slogan for his re-election bid. Keep America great! Now, Trump hopes to continue being America's 45th president. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly.